Uh, welcome everybody, this is uh, Joe Talks Presents. I'm Sergeant First Class Nathan Hutchison, and I'm here today with Major General Beavers. He is the Assistant Adjutant General for the California National Guard. Uh, as you know, Joe Talks is, is here uh, from the OCPA LA, uh, the Army Entertainment Office. Uh, this is here to, to help you connect with the Army and to understand all the Army has to offer, and, and really we're hitting a big part of the United States right now uh, with the great state of California. And with that, uh, sir, if you, can, if you can take it away and, and tell us some of the great things that California and the California National Guard is offering. Sure. Now, I appreciate the opportunity from OCPA LA to, to, uh, to talk with everybody today. It, it means a lot to get this opportunity to, to really tell all the folks in, in LA and Hollywood and elsewhere um, you know, what the National Guard is and, and, and how it's unique, uh, but at the same time, kind of how it's the same as, as uh, our active component uh, in Army Reserve brothers and sisters. Um, I think it's interesting to kind of start at the beginning, and I, I promise not to take a whole lot of time uh, starting at the beginning, but uh, but it's important as a, as a kind of a foundational um, way to, uh, to, to get everybody centered. So, uh, the National Guard of the United States was, no kidding, was formed in like 1636. So the British colonies needed some kind of militia to protect them and maintain law and order and do all those things that uh, that uh, that armies do to protect the citizenry. And, and so that was established uh, back in those days. So we are about 140 some odd years older uh, than the actual army itself. And I don't think a lot of folks understand that. And People always go, well, what's the fundamental difference between the National Guard and the regular army? Well, the fundamental difference is we have a responsibility to the states in which we operate. And uh, the National Guard operates in 54 states, territories in the District of Columbia. And uh, and the reason we have that is uh, fundamentally Article 1, Section 8, I think it's Clause 16 of the Constitution articulates that. So, um you know, we are the United States of America. We are not just America. So each, the way the founding fathers organized our country, they organized it that way. And and so we have 54 different uh, National Guards across the country. And, and that's kind of what makes us different. We swear an oath to two commanders and chiefs, uh, one being the governor of the state of California and the other being the president of the United States. So when we're not in service of the country, uh, we, uh, our commander in chief is, uh, is Governor Gavin Newsom. And, uh, when we deploy in service of the country, uh, we are uh, we are in service of, uh, of President Biden. So that's I mean, the fundamental key difference. And, and I think that's what makes us unique. Uh, we have an opportunity to not only serve the country, but to serve uh, our state, our local uh, folks, our tribal folks. Um, and that's what makes not only the National Guard unique, but it makes it fun too, because we're able to really work from home, so to speak, and uh, support the folks uh, that uh, we live uh, with and nearby. So I think that's kind of the difference. The fundamentally the same, though, makes us the same, is, uh, is that we are, we are funded by the federal government um, almost entirely. Um, and then we are also required to train at the same readiness standards as our active component in armors or brothers and sisters. So that's what makes us the same. And I think that's a hugely important part. So and a lot of folks don't really understand exactly what the Guard does relative to, to our state mission. I think they everybody just assumes that we're in the Army, and that, that, that couldn't be farther from the case. Um, you know, it's not hard these days to look at, uh, to read the news and, and determine, wow, the National Guard's, you know, in, in uh, old folks' homes, they're in hospitals and clinics, 
Um, they're issuing out vaccines at an absolute record pace. Um, we're protecting lives and property from wildfires and from earthquakes and from floods and you name it, hurricanes back east. So um, we do all that work on top of maintaining a certain level of readiness as required by by the Congress and by our our appointed leaders above us. So we have to do all those things. And that, that I think, makes us um, a, a unique organization. Uh, it's uh, it, it, its fundamental purpose is to serve both state and nation. And uh, and it's super exciting. So a lot of folks don't know really that in the California National Guard, we also have the California Air Guard. We have the California Army National Guard, primarily the two primary branches. In California alone, and I think this speaks to a lot of the things that folks um, down in Hollywood and others um, would appreciate, is the fact that, that we have five wings in our Air National Guard. We fly MQ-9 uh, Reaper drones out of Riverside, and uh, we fly the F-15C model out of, uh, out of Fresno, the 144th Fighter Wing. We fly uh, C-130Js out of Channel Islands. Um, and then we also have a rescue wing up in uh, Moffett Field, which is in the Bay Area. And uh, they fly Pavox and HC-130J um, fixed-wing aircraft. As a matter of fact, we just completed a, an overwater rescue right before Thanksgiving where we recovered uh, severely injured fishermen, Mexican fishermen, 1,700 miles off the coast of Cabo San Lucas. A lot of people think, wow, the Coast Guard does that. Well, no, the Coast Guard doesn't do that. The Air National Guard does that. So I think in, in terms of that, we, we do these complicated and complex missions every day. We manage um, a lot of space-based uh, capabilities, uh, Millstar satellites. Um, we do a lot of work in space, and uh, we continue to to expand our portfolio of things that we do in service of not only the state government but the federal government. So, we maintain a cadre of of, uh, of firefighting folks that go out um, every day and. Uh, they clear a wide swaths of our state uh, to uh, reduce the uh, combustible fuels that are out in our state and national forests. Almost 300 soldiers do that. We have 250 soldiers that do nothing but counter narcotics. That is their full-time job. So we support the high-intensity drug trafficking areas. We support the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration, the FBI, the IRS. Uh, Customs and Border Protection as it relates to specifically counter narcotics. Um, we don't we don't uh, we don't delve into uh, counter immigration per se. Um, and that's kind of the uniqueness of, of each state National Guard and what makes everybody a little different. Texas would, would look at doing those counter immigration operations given the political climate in Texas, California. Not so much. We spend all our time on, on counter narcotics, which is a huge challenge in our state. Um, a lot of folks don't realize it, but um, huge swaths of the national and state forest lands in California um, have extraordinarily large um, outdoor cannabis, illegal outdoor cannabis grows. And these are all run fundamentally by uh, the drug cartels, Mexican drug trafficking organizations. So uh, in any one given time, we probably have six or seven thousand um, members of, of Mexican drug cartels operating in our state. These folks are armed and they are, uh, they are destroying uh, our national forests and our state lands, our tribal lands, um, using you know, horrible chemicals, chemicals called like carbofuron, look that up. Um, and then they divert extraordinary amounts of water um, 
in a California, we're continuing to have a severe drought, and these these folks are are uh, are fundamentally stealing the people's water to grow illegal um, cannabis in our state. And we spend a, an extraordinary amount of time, money, um, and personal capital to uh, to combat that. That's kind of what we do every day. We do. Um, I talked about space. We do a lot. Of, like I said, we do a lot of space. Um, what else do we do? Um, it, it is a it is a panoply of of, of folks and, and stuff that we support every day here, and I think what's also unique about and especially in California is that we have um, fundamentally, with the exception of the fighter wing, we still fly up 15 Cs. Um, the rest of our our Air National Guard fleet has been completely recapitalized. Um, so we're flying the latest and greatest um, aircraft, RPAs, uh, fixed wing, uh, intra-theater lift that uh, the Air Force has. And on top of that, um, our California Army National Guard, um, we have a division headquarters, uh, the 40th Infantry Division, which is commanded by uh, Major General Lori Yeager. Uh, history making in that sense, she is the first female division commander in the history of the United States Army. In the history of the United States Army, the first female to command an infantry division. Um, and she's extraordinary in, in every respect. And, uh, and we're super lucky to have her. We have an infantry brigade combat team and uh, uh, all sorts of brigade level uh, support elements, um, aviation brigade, which is currently deployed to Operation Spartan Shield. And we expect to recover those folks sometime uh, in, uh, in early, September, in early uh, uh, January. Late December, early January, we expect those folks to start rotating back in. And then, like I said, the the, uh, the 40th Infantry Division headquarters and our Infantry Brigade Combat Team, uh, they will deploy um, in a couple of years to, to across uh, Southwest Asia. So we are in the fight, so to speak, um, and uh, in the fight globally, and then also in the, in the fight here in California. We also do a lot of work for the State Department. A lot of folks don't recognize that as well or realize it. We have... Uh, participate in what's called the State Partnership Program. State Partnership Program developed in the early 90s after the Soviet Union collapsed. And uh, in Eastern Europe, the State Department uh, partnered with uh, state national guards and uh, we went into uh, the post-Soviet bloc countries uh, along essentially the Eastern flank of NATO. And uh, we partner, California partners with, uh, with Ukraine, the country of Ukraine uh, in Europe and then in Africa, we partner with uh, Nigeria. And it's very interesting to to be able to participate as a citizen soldier in um, extraordinarily important countries at this time, like Ukraine and Nigeria. Ukraine, as everybody I think knows today, um, is, uh, is, is occupied uh, by uh, pro-Russian forces uh, in uh, the Donbass and then of course in Crimea. By, by by Russian forces in Crimea. And then uh, Nigeria continues to be troubled with uh, Boko Haram and other terrorist organizations. Um, so an opportunity to professionalize and improve the armed forces of those two countries is, is a huge challenge and uh, something that uh, folks don't realize the National Guard does. So we have um, a huge depth and breadth of, of experience to to do that work. And, uh, and it gives uh, every soldier and airman and organization a, a feeling of pride and an opportunity to, uh, to really improve uh, not only what's going on here in California, but to improve um, what we do globally. 
and uh, I think that's a, kind of another discriminator that makes uh, that makes the National Guard uh, super interesting, at least in my opinion. Um, I would tell you too that I think um, maybe we should spend some time because I think this is important for folks to recognize that that uh, all the work that we've done with COVID nineteen it it is extraordinary in every respect. Um, we're now almost two years into this. Um, the first um, first operation that we executed uh, when COVID became a thing back in March of 2019, uh, we uh, are rescuing at a mock field deployed to a uh, a cruise liner that was uh, parked off the coast of uh, of Oakland, and uh, COVID had uh, gone rampant in that cruise ship. And at the time, nobody really understood what COVID was, how challenging it was going to be, and and uh, and these these kids out of the rescue wing flew. Uh, two helicopters and dropped off a bunch of, uh, of medical folks uh, from the Centers of Disease Control, National Health, others, um, to go in there and actually determine what the level of, uh, of infection was in that ship. So that was actually the first operation that we did. And we've continued to this day um, to participate in COVID operations. And that, like I mentioned earlier, we talked about uh, uh, old folks' homes and hospitals that we put our medical teams in, um, you know, mass vaccination efforts uh, across uh, the entire state. And then also um, just trying to make sure that we can kind of manage um, the whole the whole challenge. You know, the interesting thing about um, the military is posting, this is not a hit on our civilian counterparts at all, but but, uh, but the military is very capable in, in, in planning and executing and assessing the things that we do and you know, going through that loop and, and continuing to improve. So our ability to plan and execute things um, I think helps our civilian counterparts as we partner across the state to to uh, to try to mitigate um, the the vagaries of COVID. Um, on top of that, I think everybody's very well aware, and I'm sure you are down in LA of, of the the civil support operations, the uh, the work that we did when uh, civil unrest occurred in uh, in LA, and, and obviously up here as well to a lesser extent, but in LA, significant challenges. That's uh, uh, we probably put 8,000 soldiers and airmen on the ground to uh, to assist uh, the local law enforcement uh, mutual aid system to try to uh, to get that situation under control and pacified. And I think we did an exceptionally good job of that. And I was a young captain in 1992 after the Rodney King uh, verdict, and uh, that uh, you figure, wow, you're never ever going to do that again in your military career. And there you go, back to it. You know, some you know whatever, 30 years later. Um, but yeah, so we went down there and we, our, our soldiers and airmen performed brilliantly and and, uh, and they have a depth and breadth of understanding and experience um, that, that make them invaluable, not only to our country and to our state, but also to folks that want to be able to tell our story. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's huge and we're a huge resource. So, so if folks want to tell these stories, you know, I, I'd offer that they, they come and see us and come talk to us and we'll be able to provide them a level of, uh, of, of a realistic understanding of how things are that would make whatever product that they intend to produce and, and, and deliver, make it much, much better. Because folks are smart and they understand, um, you know, what right looks like and what, what's real and what's not. And and uh, and using the National Guard as a, as a way to do that, I think is, is, is huge. Um, I also want to talk just, just briefly, I think it's important to talk about some of the challenges um, that we have, and I'll get to that in a second too. And I. I I do want to touch on a couple other things that we do do, and I don't think folks realize this, but 
But the National Guard provides about 100,000 shelter nights a year for the homeless across our state. California has an extraordinarily challenging homeless problem. Um, it's the largest homeless population of any state in our, in our nation. And uh, the National Guard opens up our armories um, starting in about October, November, continues through the spring. And like I said, we put about 100,000 shelter nights a year together for folks that get them out of the cold and, and get them the opportunity to access the, the, the wraparound services that, uh, you know, that, that are available to them. So, and, you know, we're not, we're fundamentally not immune to, uh, to all the challenges that, uh, that everybody else in the military has. Uh, we continue to have the same challenges relative to sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, you know, those things, I think, you know, they're just not, uh, they're just not, um, um, we, we have them as well. And, and I think it's important to talk a little bit about that. I really do. And, and, you know, we have the readiness challenges that the army has, uh, we have the diversity and equity challenges. I think that, that our, our counterparts in the active military services have. And I think it's important to note too, that, that, uh, and, and why I bring this up is, is I think that folks particularly, um, engage the military and the Department of Defense on these hugely important social topics because when you change the military, you can change society. Um, I'll use uh, the desegregation of the military in 1948 under Truman. So that occurred in 48. Brown versus Board of Education didn't occur until 54, you know, so some six or seven years later. And, uh, and I think that's why it happens, I, and I think it's important, and I think it's, it's positive, and we should absolutely be held to a higher standard than our civilian counterparts, without a doubt. Uh, we've talked about this before, you know, the military is, is, is probably the, one of the most trusted um, organizations and occupations across our country, without a doubt, um, you know, up there with doctors and nurses and, and firemen, and as I think I mentioned in, in a previous talk, you know, we're respected um, more than clergy. So that's a huge responsibility to have. And, uh, and we, we should absolutely bear that, um, responsibility given the work that we do on behalf of our country. So, um, I just want to touch on that. I, you know, don't want it to make it all, you know, sound, everything's rosy, but, um, we, we do have those challenges. So the guard is, I think a very, very interesting place to, to understand and learn about. I think folks in the Pentagon fundamentally don't understand exactly what we do. I'll say also the folks in the Congress don't understand exactly what we do. So I think it's an opportunity to uh, to tell an interesting story that folks um, don't get a lot of, of understanding. Um, oftentimes we're portrayed, I think, uh, in movies, um, not necessarily in a positive light. Um, and I think that is a stigma that we have successfully beat down over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, like I mentioned before, we continue to deploy globally at an extraordinary clip uh, and uh, concurrently um, do those things at home that, that I mentioned before. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we run six charter schools in California. Uh, they're, they're fundamentally a last chance school um, where uh, folks have to volunteer. They can't be compelled to come, but they volunteer. And uh, we secure them a, a GED at the end of it and, and, and provide them the leadership and, and the physical um, physical fitness discipline that I think uh, improves uh, folks as a whole person. And, uh, and it, you know, their classes are segregated by sex, folks wear uniforms, all these interesting things that, that a lot of folks in our society would, would not think work. 
but they work. They work extraordinarily well. Our our graduation graduation rates in these in these organizations are well in excess of ninety five percent. You don't find that anywhere. Not in the public schools. Not in the private schools. Um, not in the parochial schools for that. So uh, we're extraordinarily proud of the, the the huge depth and breadth of things that the the guard does, and and uh, we uh, we think that folks would um, benefit from being able to understand what we do and and how it adds value. Um, and I think that's uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So yeah, so I think that the National Guard gives benefit to the to the military as a whole not only for the the things that you provide but the the fact that you're within the communities as well uh gives you know there's there's talk about the the divide between the military and the civilian world Uh, and you guys uh you you cover that divide and and show you you put a personal face to the military uh, that i don't think absolutely understand no, I agree. And, and, you know, I think that's another unique aspect of the Guard. You know, when the country goes to war and it sends the National Guard, the, fundamentally the whole country is going to war. Um, you know, we don't live on on uh, on huge post camps and stations. Uh, our organization is fundamentally community-based. So we're in 90-some-odd armories and readiness centers across our state. So, um, so the American people and the people of California, when we deploy – people feel it you know the the citizenry of our state and nation feel that um it's oftentimes a hard to feel that if you're a citizen when everybody that's deploying is is you know parked in fort bliss or in fort hood or fort drum or whatever um it just it it has a different feel to it you know it just feels differently and i think that's that's important because at the end of the day you know um the american people get a vote on what we do and and uh and if they're not behind it, you know, we're going to have some fundamental problems. So, yeah, when the, when the country goes to war, the guard has to go to war, too, as well. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, by size alone, uh, California has, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities, but probably has the most diverse uh, National Guard, at least as far as um, as far as training opportunities and 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 missions. Uh, we do, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, we continue to, uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. California is a diverse state, so the California National Guard is a diverse organization. We have to look and feel like the people that we serve, and we do. I mentioned, you know, Laura Yeager being the first female infantry division commander in the history of the Army, and and, uh, and we have uh, female colonels and, and have had, you know, other female generals through and, and, and all the demographics that make our state what it is. And it's, it's a great state. Um, it, they are represented in, in, in our organization. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes easy to be in the California Guard because it's our state's diverse, you know, and, and uh, it's hard. I think it's a challenge for some states to, to be able to, to achieve that level of diversity. I think oftentimes, too, it's, it's, it's not a matter of matter of demographics it's oftentimes uh, the political climate too you know california has uh, is is very diverse politically um and and you know strongly left-leaning and uh, i think that helps us do those important um those important things that to try to to lash up the the the, the cultural divides that we have the stresses on the fabric of our society um 
you know, the, the, the military needs to, to, to be the, the front runner on, on lashing those divides up because people look up to us and, and, you know, we have a responsibility to do the right thing, regardless of, of what, you know, folks either on the right or the left are doing. Um, you know, we need to be apolitical, but, you know, we also have to recognize and understand the politics exist in, in, in our place in them or in that and, and, and do the right thing without, uh, without, you know, going one way or the other. And sometimes that's a challenge, especially in the, in the guard where the leadership of the each state national guard is, you know, appointed by the political leadership of that state, which I think kind of freaks out folks in the Pentagon a little bit and and, and in the Congress. But uh, but that's what the, our founding fathers, uh, I think, fundamentally wanted is a check and balance. You know, so like I said before, we're the United States of America. We are not just America. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so along with uh, you know, obviously, uh, you're involved in the the firefights and the uh, you know. Um, counteracting a lot of things as far as infrastructure goes do you do you have any part in that we do so uh our infrastructure challenges are 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 significant you know every i think the armories in our in our state are probably on average you know 50 60 years old i think and many of them were were uh, were built without um having women's bathrooms uh envisioned or uh you know, anticipated. So we've done a lot of work on that, and and uh, we've done a lot of work to try to to improve our facilities. You know, across the state. And the challenge with that is that takes a boatload of cash. That is an expensive proposition to 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 get world class facilities, which I think we've we've done in the last few years much much better at at securing uh, funding for that infrastructure and then actually being able to execute the appropriations that we receive. So some of our armies are, are are not that good. Some fundamentally blight the neighborhoods that they're in, and we recognize that. But the vast majority are uh, are uh, are much better than they used to be. But it's an uphill fight, you know. And the Congress uh, the Congress has to to make those decisions to to fund us, and and uh, and oftentimes they do. Sometimes they don't. You just kind of have to live with it and do the best you can. But but by and large, you know, we are very thankful for. Uh, for the, the support that we get in the Congress and across the two military services, both the Army and the Air Force. So, yeah, I think, uh, but infrastructure is important. We, we got to make sure soldiers have, they, they got to make sure they want to go to the Armory in which they serve, right? And uh, and if it looks like crap, then they're not going to want to be there. Um, so it's important and we recognize that for sure. And I, I think that that's, uh, I, I've talked to many recruiters, but, you know, one of the, one of the um, confusing sales for, for new potential soldiers is is the fact that you are able to basically live at home and uh, and still serve and yes it's uh, you know it's a it's a different process um, but you know it, it should be fundamentally um, enjoyable and you know to to give back and to uh, oh and then make a paycheck as well and that's the unique value proposition of the National Guard is is that you continue to serve in the communities in which you live. Um, you're not moving every three or five years, um, and uh, and you can still deliver value to state and nation. And I think that resonates with a lot of folks. Some folks it doesn't. Some folks want to join the army, the regular army, to go and and see different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and be a part of an organization like that. And we recognize that. Um, I found it interesting. I read an article this morning that the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps. And their recruiting effort, their their objective was to to essentially um, 
you know, steal recruits from uh, from the the army, the army national guard, and the army reserve. Which that was funny. Um, each component, each service within those components, they have their own brand, right? You know, and and uh, and I don't think folks would join the the the, the Marine Corps um, for the same reasons that they join the National Guard or the Army. They they join for different reasons. They're attracted to a specific brand, um, and uh, and our, our brands, you know, fundamentally different than the Marine Corps, fundamentally different than the Navy, and Coast Guard, and other services. So. Um, we attract uh, folks that want to serve, but they also want to, they want to have a, a, you know, a viable and successful civilian career. Um, and I think, uh, being in the guard, you're able to do that. And I think that's for me, Matt Beavers, personally, that was the draw that I got to, you know, I got to keep my gig in Silicon Valley and do all those things that were cool in the Valley and still be able to serve my country and my state. And, and, uh, it can be challenging sometimes. So I don't want to say that it's not because that would be disingenuous, um, the guard is not um is not you know one week in a month and and two weeks a year i mean i think 1903 was when the congress decided to fund the national guard at those level at that level Uh, that's how long ago we came up with uh with one week in a month and and two weeks in in the summer as they used to call it in the summer um those days are long gone and they've been long gone since the mid 80s Uh, so it's 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 a completely different deal we train to the same standards we deploy at extraordinary rates um and uh and the 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 work that we, we do in the state especially the last of COVID, has been exceptional i mean folks you know four or five thousand folks at a time we had out um doing uh, counter COVID operations so and, and these folks and they just simply walked away from their civilian careers and god bless every civilian employer that uh that allowed them to do that and then go back to their civilian jobs. So it, it really does, at the end of the day, take a village on a lot of these things, for sure. Yeah, and that's uh, what I was about to touch on, is that, you know, the the part that kind of gets overlooked a lot of the time, especially with deployments and, you know, in these in these heavy missions, is, you know, the, these employers across the state uh, that are, you know, have taken on this responsibility uh, knowingly, uh, and are are providing the you know the way for these soldiers and airmen to to do what they have signed up to do yeah absolutely you know and i think too it's you know we we worry about that because we should worry about it but but i think the value that a guard the guardsman delivers to a civilian employer is is exceptional and extraordinary the leadership uh opportunities that you get in the guard um are second to none the uh the fact that you are in good physical shape that you are drug free, that you show up every day to work, that you solve problems rapidly, that you don't take credit for everything, that you can operate as a member of a team uh, and be a good follower as well as a good leader. I mean, these are things that they are not taught in colleges or universities or high schools or, you know, and, and civilian employers, you know, want folks like that to work in their organization. So I think if we can do that, um, and deliver that value to civilian employers, then they are going to be more than willing to accept and understand the fact that these kids have to uh, they have to go when the, when state or nation calls, and and they're going to get back a better employee at the end of the day for the work that they did in service of the state or in service of the nation. And you probably have less less likelihood of of someone being in in financial woes, uh, definitely because of. Uh, college benefits and 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 different things right. that that are offered 
uh, through the National Guard, sure. and you're probably going to have a, a overall a, a more educated uh, service member. For sure, for sure. Number one reason why Matt Beavers joined the army, man, is to get get my college paid for. You know, I grew up in Salinas, so not a lot of huge opportunities down there. Um, so, but it worked out good for me, and it works out great for everybody else that takes that opportunity. You know, our our uh, our college. Uh, essentially our college payment plan is oversubscribed every year um and uh and it's a it, it's a huge value for kids that want to do that the community colleges in the state of california are uh, the crown jewel of our state are none they are now fundamentally free um and then you know we're wind up picking up the the last couple two or three years of a of a, a bachelor's degree um so yeah i think folks recognize that and on top of that you know the, you know, the opportunities to access TRICARE, um, which is very, very, um, very favorable for civilian employers. Imagine this, right? So you're a civilian employer and, and, and you want to hire Matt Beavers. Matt Beavers has access to TRICARE. Well, then civilian employer doesn't have to pay the, the health care costs of that employee. So it makes them even more uh, attractive to the civilian uh, employment force. So yeah, absolutely. The benefits are, are important. And I think... Uh, I think folks do join for that reason. I think they wind up staying for 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 a fundamentally different reason. I think they they people that do this work are called to service. It's a calling. It really is. It's like being a doctor, a nurse, or fireman, or a cop. These 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 are things you do because you're called to do it. Um, so they wind up staying because they were called to it, and, and they and they recognize um, the importance of the work that they do every day, uh, and that's why they stay. I think we hook them with the with the benefits and the opportunities, but they stay because they recognize the work is valuable. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can agree with that. Uh, you know, just on the either side, um, with uh, you know, so we have some of the the wars, uh, you know, coming to a close. Uh, you know, yeah. fundamentally, kind of, uh, kind of withering down. Um, what do you see as the um, for the for the missions for the National Guard right now? Uh, is it going to be primarily home focused or are you, are you going to ramp up some of the those those partnerships that you talked about well i kind of thought it was going to be home focused you know as we as we you know kind of round uh, wound down afghanistan and you know and, and previous to that iraq but uh but that's not been the case um i think anymore um the level of professionalism our ability to generate world-class readiness um as a reserve component I think has fundamentally surprised surprised folks in the Pentagon, surprised folks in the Congress, um, that we're able to um, to generate that kind of readiness uh, is going to keep us um, deployed. Uh, as I mentioned before, the 40th Infantry Division and our uh, headquarters and our Infantry Brigade Combat Team will all deploy in two years. Uh, our Striker Battalion is getting ready to go out the door to support uh, the European Defense Initiative. They're going to be in Poland. Uh, so, so we had deployments have not slowed down at all, um, frankly. And then with uh, with the work that we've done here on the home front, um, we were kind of hoping for a little breather, but it, it just never happened. So I'll admit that you know it's okay to it's okay to say you want to take a little break, but uh, but it didn't happen. So that's okay too, right? You sign up for this work, and this is what you do. And and across the board, folks, uh, I think uh, are are more than willing to continue to operate at that level of operational tempo. Um, some folks can't. We recognize that, um, but uh, but by and large, I think we're we're well positioned to to continue to do what we've been doing for the last you know 20 or 25 years. 
I mean, it's not like it was when both Afghanistan and Iraq were going 100 miles an hour. It's not, nothing close to that. Uh, but uh, but we've we've deployed. It's got to be shoot 100,000 or more soldiers since 9/11, at least. You know, so that's what five times the size of the state of our guard now. So, um, yeah, we we've we've uh, we've we've been full participants in it, and I, and I fundamentally believe it's 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 because we're able, and this is. This goes to the, the the junior officers that run our companies and battalions. Um, they're able to generate that kind of readiness, and and it, you know, and it helps too. You know, if you're in a unit that uh, that your buddy next door is in, right? You know, and and uh, and you've known him for a long time. So I think it it, it dramatically improves unit cohesion. Um, and then we deploy, even though you could deploy as a as an infantryman in a um, in a striker battalion, you also are bringing to that fight. Or, or that deployment, um, a unique set of uh, civilian acquired skills. So, you know, your your driver might be a might be a plumber, or your driver might be a school teacher, and these things are important when you have to interact with uh, the host nation. Um, so it makes us better. I think we're much more well rounded, much more mature. I think um, than uh, than some of our counterparts counterparts in, in the in the active component. Uh, I think that's a kind of part of the unique value proposition of the guard for sure awesome and um sure i, I believe that's uh i mean it's 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 great to it's great to be in california and see the the great things that the that the guard is doing uh and and you know not not being very many active component uh army soldiers in the state um you know, it's it's great to, to see a familiar face and, and really get to know what the National Guard offers and what it what it provides and and uh, it's a fundamental role in in the state uh, organization. Absolutely. Uh, so we really yeah, appreciate sure. appreciate your time uh, and uh, and appreciate what your what the whole organization is doing. Now we appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. Thank you very much for your time. All right, sir. Have a good day. See you. All right.